All right. Um, well, my clock says, well, it says 7.04, which doesn't sound as good as 7.05 as the start time, but I think we should, I think we should go ahead and get started. Um, I invite us all to, uh, to grab a Bible if you have one um, nearby, um, BibleGateway.com or I don't know, Bible.com is probably a website too. Um, but um, yeah, I invite you to, um, to grab a text and uh, we'll, we're going to look at John 17 this evening um, as well as, as well as wrap up um, the, the series. Um, before we begin, I'll, I'll um, open us in, in prayer. Almighty God, we ask that you join us this evening. You unsettle us with your truth. You remake us with your grace. Help us to be your light in a fragile and broken world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, oh, three people have just joined. Lovely. All right. So, um, well, great to see you all. Um, I'm honored that you've decided to uh, come to this on what is just what a is lovely um, afternoon. And, and <laughs> um, so tonight is is week five, uh, our final week um, in the gospel in the gospel of John. Um, so, as I said, we'll look at John 17. We'll also tie together some of the some of the loose loose ends as much as we can. Um, I thought before we looked at, at John 17, I would, uh, um, since I missed last week, um, um, I thought I would, I would ask us what, what some of the themes or topics or conversations have uh, stayed with us that we've been thinking about wrestling with. Um, it could be last week, but it could also just be any of the weeks. Anything in the gospel that, um, has has struck you as fresh um, or different or new this time around? And just you know, quickly, you don't have to talk too well, long about it. I, I didn't know about Nicodemus at all, so I, I found it really lovely to watch him have different interactions and gradually, kind of, slowly change his mind into a new place. So that was nice to see that kind of blossoming slowly. Other other themes or conversations that I like the fact that it uh, it gave a pretty good overview, and I found it quite interesting that as I was reading the overview and thinking, oh, this is how it all goes, that some of it became a little bit controversial. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, well, uh, I did listen to last week's discussion um, uh, earlier this week, and I heard us um, really being authentic and struggling with with John chapter eight. Um, I, I heard I'm not sure from who, not that I would want to um, put the spotlight on them, but I but I did hear someone say, oh, we should just cut John out of the New Testament. Well, I'm here to defend old John this evening 
Um, I think we're, we're better for his gospel in all of its difficulty and complexity. And I think John 17 um, will give us uh, reason much to appreciate here. So um, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see, um, you'll likely see a heading um, uh, at the beginning of this chapter. These, these headings um, uh, weren't in the original um, manuscripts. Actually, there were no verse or chapter breaks um, in in the original in, in the original Greek. Um, it's it's quite stressful to look at a page of Greek without space or punctuation or anything. Um, we had to do that for a final in one of my undergrad classes, and uh, didn't do so well. Um, but uh, but I I wonder what your heading is for this section of John John seventeen. Um, does everyone say the high priestly prayer? No, some, says, some do. It says prayer for the apostles. Prayer for his apostles. Prayer for his disciples. Disciples. Yeah. Prays for his disciples. Okay. I got high priestly prayer in the footnotes. High priestly prayer. Okay. Okay. Jesus prays to be glorified. Jesus prays to be glorified. Okay. Prayer for the apostles and he prays for all believers. Yeah. King James Version doesn't have any header. Oh, really? No, it just starts out these words, faith Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven. I have a King James and it's got titles. Got the title. Some do, some don't. The most common one that I see is the High Priestly Prayer. Um, it's a title that um, that came about in the 16th century. Uh, a German um, scholar, John Chitrius, you can't pronounce his name well. You know, in the 16th century, they're arguing about what it means to be a priest um, and what it means, um, you know, the Catholic and Lutheran and Reformed, and they're having this lively conversation about what it means to be a priest. And so um, they, they titled this section, The High Priestly Prayer, as they were trying to discern from this prayer of Jesus, um, what, what, it means to be, what it means to be ordained a priest in, in Christ's church. All of this to say, many people have read this um, in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'll invite us into a couple of a couple of different different readings. Um, so again, this is a very different kind of passage, John 17. Um, it's at the end of the final discourse in John. Um, if you have a Bible with red letters in it, you'll see that from John 13 to John 17, it's all red. Um, Jesus has just been talking. Um, uh, for, for four chapters. Um, and this is a really, this is a really special, a special scene. One of the, one of the high peaks, um, in this, in this gospel, um, as we, um, as we overhear Jesus's conversation with God, the father, whom he calls father, um, a prayer that we don't see in the other gospels, a prayer that it would be hard to imagine being in the other gospels, um, quite, quite frankly. Uh, the other gospels tell us that Jesus went away to, to pray. He, he retired, retreated um, uh, uh, away to be alone to pray. This is um, almost the backstage pass um, 
what was this, what was this prayer like? What was his final um, prayer, prayer like? Um, it's a strange prayer. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a prayer. Um, I, I think you'll, you'll notice that it's um, a lot of different themes that are, that are tied together. There's evidence that some of it probably comes really early. Some of, some of the text could have been added later by the Joannine community. So like any text in John's gospel, there's a complex and rich kind of provenance um, uh, to their development and reception in the canon. Um, basically what I see Jesus um, up to in the prayer, he's in some ways, he's in some ways not, he's, he's in this threshold space between heaven and earth. In some ways, he's got one foot on earth and one foot already in heaven. Um, you'll notice that the tenses of the verbs in, in the passage uh, vacillate from past tense, uh, present tense, future tense. Um, he says in verse 12, while I was with them, while I was with my disciples, I think that's what your translation will say. A curious phrase, right? Because he's with his disciples right now. Um, so, uh, again, there's a sense of, um, this is Jesus praying, straddling heaven and earth, which makes it a really beautiful and sacred piece of scripture. In some ways we're overhearing, uh, a heavenly, a heavenly dialogue. Um, I thought for this, I thought for this evening, um, I would, I'd have us read this text using, um, a little bit of a model or method that we learned in seminary, actually something that we were taught in, in my preaching class um, uh, on how to, how to construct a useful sermon or organized sermon. There are lots of these um, little, little tips of the trade, so to speak. And one of them that, um, that just about any seminarian is taught is a, it's called the four-page sermon. Um, and I want this to guide our reading of the text. So the four-page sermon um, includes these four things. The first advice um, for the preacher, and we're all the preachers this evening, we're writing this sermon. Um, the first uh, advice is to find the trouble in the text. Find the trouble in the text. Where does the text unsettle you, uh, um, challenge you, provoke you? Um, where's the trouble in the text? That's often the place where discovery happens. Trouble in the text. Connect the trouble in the text, text to page two, um, which is where's the trouble? How does this connect to the trouble in the world? Where, where, does, where does this text intersect with um, brokenness, difficulty in the world? Moves to... Um, moves to the third page, uh, the third movement, grace in the text, grace in the text. And then the fourth page is how are we called to be grace in the world? Pretty simple structure. Um, um, you know, sometimes I use it. Sometimes I'm, I'm always thinking when I come to a text, where's the trouble? Find the trouble. Um, so as we read John 17, I'm going to encourage us, um, uh, I'm going to ask you after we've read it, um, where do you find trouble in the text? Is there a verse? 
an image uh, that that unsettles you. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to read it this evening. Um, I've got a translation that um, really draws out some of the difficulties and starkness in John's um, in John's language. It's um, it's a translation by David Bentley Hart called the New Testament, uh, um, and uh, uh, Hart is a scholar. Uh, he teaches all over. A really really smart guy. Um, I like his translation a lot. Uh, it's very literal and it makes the text feel pretty weird. So get ready. But it's very literal. So this is, this is as close to the Greek as I can give you. John 17. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to the sky said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son might glorify you. Just as you gave him power over all flesh so that you have given everything to him, that he might give them life in the age. And this is life in the age, that they may know you, the sole true God, and him whom you sent, Jesus the anointed. On earth I glorified you by completing the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me by your side with that glory I had by your side before the cosmos was. I disclosed your name to the men whom you gave to me out of the cosmos. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given me, however many, are from you. Because the words that you gave me, I have given to them and they accepted them. And I knew truly that I came forth from you. And they had faith that you sent me forth. I make supplication on their behalf. I do not make supplication on behalf of the cosmos, but rather on behalf of those you have given me, because they are yours. And all that is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the cosmos, and they are in the cosmos, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one just as we are. When I was with them, I protected them in your name, which you gave me and guarded them. And not one of them perished except the son of perdition so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and in the cosmos, I speak these things so that they might have the joy that is mine made full within them. I've given them your word and the cosmos hated them because they are not of the cosmos just as I am not of the cosmos. I pray not that you should take them out of the cosmos, but that you should keep them away from the wicked one. They are not of the cosmos, just as I am not of the cosmos. Make them holy in the truth. The word that is yours is truth. Just as you sent me forth into the cosmos, I sent them also forth into the cosmos. And on their behalf, I make myself holy so that they also may be made holy in the truth. Almost there. But I make supplication not for them only, but also for those having faith in me on account of their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they too might be in us, so that the cosmos may have faith that you sent me forth. And I've given to them the glory you have given me, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to completion in one, so that the cosmos might know that you sent me forth and love them just as you loved me. 
Father, I wish that they too, those you have given me, might be with me where I am, that they might see my glory, which you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the cosmos. Righteous Father, the cosmos also did not know you, but I knew you, and these know you have sent me forth, and your name I have made known and will make known to them, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them also. A little bit of a different translation, huh? Oh, what, um, what, what is the difference between world and cosmos? I'm so because... glad you asked. Mm. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll talk next, about that next year. <laughs> we'll talk about that tonight because I'm going to focus. There's my trouble in the text right there. Um, uh, that that word, but I'm curious if there was other other trouble trouble in the text for you. Is the mission accomplished? Yeah. Did Jesus's prayer work? That we all may be one. But what he said was, "I have accomplished the mission you gave me." Is accomplished. Yep. Great question. Great question. John Small. I have trouble with verses 14, 15, and 16. There's a lot of hate and evil and sort of the us and them, the they. There's a lot of this. I have trouble with they. Uh, they have the hate. They have the evil. 14, 15, and 16 seem to me to stand out as troublesome. Yep. And we've seen that through through our readings each of the weeks. Uh, I think that was really pronounced last week. And then, uh, likewise, in, in verse three, uh, talking about the like the only true God, like this is the only way is this way. Again, it's 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 sort of a it seems to narrow the paths. Yeah. Just checking my another translation on that verse. Um, for what it's worth, scholars think John 3, uh, 17, 3 was a, a theological commentary added to the text. Um, uh, it's odd for Jesus to speak in the third person. Um, that they may know Jesus Christ. Um, we know athletes do that, but um, I don't think I don't think Jesus uh, did that. So there's reason to think that this is a Johannine community commentary uh, on the prayer. Not to say it's not a rich and worthy commentary, but um, okay. So the question: any other any other troubles? Any other tro troubles in the text? Well, maybe not a trouble, but just a tone that it, he seems very much to be positioning himself, himself as an intermediary. Mm -hmm. He's very self-aware of what his specific role is. Yeah. He's ser serving as a broker in some ways. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. He's out of the human condition. Yeah. Well, and, and look, this is the last prayer, um, perhaps he prayed this, John thinks he prayed this in Gethsemane. Notice Jesus here 
isn't saying, um, take this cup from me. Um, notice Jesus is not sweating drops of blood. Uh, he's not falling over. There are no sleeping disciples. This is a confident Jesus. Um, a Jesus, I think, who's got, again, one foot already in heaven. Why is he saying, I am praying for them and I am not praying for the world? And why is he limiting his prayers just for his disciples? And what is the reason for that? And it's very limited in its scope. Uh, he's not reaching out very far. Not reaching out very far. He does in other passages in the gospel. Remember, he says, I have sheep of another fold. But not in this passage. Not in his final prayer. I'm, I'm equally troubled that he doesn't pray for all people. Um, okay, so... Um, I think we can bring all of these, uh, these dilemmas, tensions, troubles to bear and help us inform uh, our sermon writing. Um, I struggle with what exactly uh, Mimi raised for us. What does this word world mean? Notice the translation I read said cosmos. Um, cosmos is the untranslated Greek. Um, our word cosmos, cosmology, um, comes, comes to us as a Greek, as a Greek idea. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean for John? Um, well, it has an ambivalent and a mixed meaning. I mean, um, when, when we say cosmos, um, I think we mean the universe. Mm. I think we mean the universe that we can discover via um, uh, telescopes and mathematics and physics and the rest. I think that's certainly the way the Greeks, um, um, uh, the early mathematicians and astronomers thought of the word cosmos. John uses and has that understanding. And I think there's sometimes that world has this um, almost valueless uh, meaning that, that um, it does in the scientific um, context. But John has a different meaning for cosmos. Um, John, I think, if you were to ask John what his cosmology is, John sees the world, well, as rejecting Jesus, as living in darkness, um, as, as lost, um, I think if, you know, we could think of all of the dualisms in John's gospel, um, light and darkness, sight, blindness, life, death, lies, truth, children of the light, children of the dark, uh, children of the father, children of Satan. That was, that was in last week's text the other today he said the other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think the other one is god and the cosmos um to say it uh bluntly god and the cosmos are not on the same page in john's gospel they're not on the same they're not on the same page um 
Okay, so so um, where does this dualism come from? Um, and and I should just say, I th I think I'm I'm gonna try to unpack for you what I think John means and what I think John believes about the world. I'm gonna reserve my judgment um, um, because I'm still struggling with these meanings. Um, I, I can offer my judgment after we unpack it a little bit, um, but I think you'll you'll get the sense that it's. It's a difficult concept and word, and I, I, I would submit it's probably the biggest stumbling block in reading John's gospel for 21st century um, North American Christians. Okay, so where does this stark world come from? God against cosmos, cosmos or worlds rejecting God. Where does this come from? Well, to yeah. some degree, you see it in you see it forming in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, you see it forming in um, the Old Testament prophets. This this idea that the world is in a really really bad way is the kind of residence of evil and darkness. A lot of the Old Testament was written um, post Babylonian exile in the um, if it wasn't written, it was compiled then, 6th century BCE. Um, the world was a pretty bad, tough, difficult place for Jews. Um, they suffered two different exiles, uh, the north in 722, the south in, um, in 574. Um, they were a displaced people, a place without a home. Um, the prophets come on the scene and they say the world is in a really, really bad way. Um, they've persecuted us. Um, they've uh, killed us, slaughtered us. Um, dualism, I think, really emerges amidst suffering and trauma. Black and white worldviews arise amidst suffering and trauma. And we should always remember that when we're reading the Old Testament. I think we're unfair to Old Testament um, Jews, and we often say the Old Testament God. Remember, um, there was no air conditioning. There were no vaccines. There were no NICUs. It's a different world. So the Old Testament develops this concept of the world living in darkness and God needs to step in and deliver the world. They, their idea for this is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. It's going to pounce on the world like a tiger and it's going to separate the good from the evil. That's the concept that Amos um, uh, uh, is inspired to, to write. You see it in Isaiah. You see it in Micah. You see it in Ezekiel. All the prophets writing at the destruction of the temple, within the, in the shadow of where the temple once stood, develop this dualistic worldview, emerging from trauma. Um, important to rem remember that. Um, important to remember that there's great suffering. The Bible is written amidst great suffering. Now, so I think, I think some of the influence on cosmos comes to us from the Old Testament, I think, and this is, this is where you guys are going to have to rein me back in if I, if I chase this rabbit too passionately. 
I think I agree with a lot of commentaries written in the 20th century that John's community was very influenced by Gnosticism. I think there's a strong Gnostic strain and influence on John's theological imagination. What do you know about Gnosticism? It's, it's, a, big, it's a big word. Um, it's a word that's multivalenced and it often gets simplified. It gets simplified, certainly in early Christianity, to stand in for everything that early Christians hated. Um, um, but, but I think John is, in some ways, I agree with Rudolf Bultmann. I think some Gnostic strains got into the Joannine community, and I think they're struggling uh, to, to figure out what it, what it means for them. So uh, does anyone know of, of, have you heard that word Gnosticism? Do you know, have any, have any general ideas of what's, what's going on there? Um, I think it'll help us. Uh, I'm looking it up as we speak. Yeah. My, my, my simplistic version is, isn't it sort of, there's a secret and not everybody can like, it, it felt like it's not available for everybody. You have to get the secret ritual and then you'll get it as opposed to it being available for everybody. Something like that. Well, the definition says a prominent heretical movement of the second century Christian church, partly of pre-Christian origin. Gnostic doctrine taught that the world was created and ruled by a lesser divinity, the demiurge, and that Christ was an emissary of the remote supreme divine being, esoteric knowledge of whom enabled the redemption of the human spirit. That requires so, translation. So translation, the world was created. The material world exists by a mistake. The material world was created by a lesser God, not the high true God, but a lesser God. Um, and um, that lesser God for some Gnostics is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Um, because Yahweh often comes across as petty, mean, a little vindictive. The Gnostics read that and say, this world is actually enslaved to this demiurge, this lesser God. Um, so the Gnostic myth is that Jesus descends from the high one true God and deposits secret knowledge, as Paul said, insight into humanity. He reminds humanity of, here's a Gnostic phrase, the divine spark within. Mm. You ever heard that? Very Gnostic. Beautiful, beautiful. And by the way, I'm in, I, I, I don't, Gnosticism's got a bad rap. I think it's, I'm gonna, I, I wanna suggest that it has something to contribute. Um, uh, a lot in John's gospel, seeing the light, knowing God here in John 17, three, perceiving the truth. The truth is within you. Um, there's a lot there. The world is ruled by a lesser evil deity. Now, does that explain this negative perception of the world in John? Well, Maybe. It could. It could. It could. And a lot of scholars want to lean on Gnosticism. They want to lean on it to explain away the anti-Semitism. Because Gnostics did not like that Old Testament God 
and the Jew and the Jewish people that worshiped him. Now, um, I think they get an unfair rap. Um, and I want to argue that Christianity has tried to purge itself of Gnosticism to its detriment. It's tried to saw off one of its own limbs, so to speak. Um, it's just an interesting theme and way to read John 17 and this word, the world. But here's what I want to say with Gnosticism. They're trying to explain how the world is so dark and how the world is so bad. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why, why, why are there toothaches and failing kidneys and children born with half a heart, starvation at the animal level, um, the suffering just built into creation itself. How do you explain that? And, you know, um, well, Christians often say, well, we have free will. Does that carry the weight? Does that, does that do enough work? Nope. Doesn't. Not for me. Doesn't explain. Doesn't explain anything. people being born with faulty organs or anything like that. That's not anybody's fault. I, I quite like this Gnosticism. A lot of people do. It's an interesting <laughs> concept. Yeah, I think this. I, I think it explains quite a lot. I quite like it. So the Gnostics say, "Oh, you." Um, uh, uh, um, Jewish Christians, you place it all on Adam and Eve, but there's something darker afoot. There's a rebellion in the heavens. Now, Christians develop that mythology a little bit. I mean, Satan rebelled and, um, and all the rest. John, if you read John, and if you read 1 John, 1 John is the best commentary on John. Um, the world is ruled by the evil one. The world is, is, the cosmos is ruled by the evil one. Creation is good, but the creation is not the world. The world is what's anti-God, anti-truth, anti-enlightenment, anti-goodness. Um, anti it's, it's that in the world that prefers the lie. Remember, Satan's the father of lies, prefers the lie to the truth. Um, I think a lot of the dualism in John 17, in John's gospel, um, I'm intrigued by some of these Gnostic impulses. All right. Does that help us with the dualism? Is that a, is that a worldview that we can get behind today? Um, mm -hmm what's what's not to like what's to like where do you sit with that um hmm. where do you go i'm you can hear i'm still struggling so some of it is not you, you know the the either or i mean there's just a lot of the world that's amoral illness destruction by natural happenings you know, all these things are not someone doing something evil. Or they're animals who do not have a conscience. 
a lot of what is ha what happens in our world and we can't control it we may try to but i you know i don't think it fits into the alternatives that you're proposing okay i feel that way too i i um I don't think it's necessary evil that happens that um, that causes suffering and and that kind of thing. Um, maybe it's Satan penetrating people, and the people do. But to me, that's one of the reasons I love Jesus. <laughs> um, because that's the hope. That's the way to deal with it. That's the way to, to eradicate the human um, kind of thing that causes it. I, I, I would agree with that, but I, I, think, I think that's like... Um the way that maybe we can deal with it as individuals. But I think when one's looking at the big picture of the whole world and where does evil arise from? I mean, the things that, yeah, I, I, I think it does explain on a much bigger level, a, a, a lot of what, what, you know, suffering and the, the lies that sort of pervade the world and create such disorder, there's got to be some sort of bigger explanation. So, I mean, that's where I sort of think this has some validity or I can see a space for it for sure. Um, there's a lot in the New Testament, y'all. Um, that talks about Satan and evil. <laughs> and I struggle. What do you do with it? I mean, we're Episcopalians. Let me remind you. We have yeah. Satan. It shows up in the prayer book one time. At baptism. Baptism. Yeah. You renounce him. Yeah. And then we renounce him from the rest of our prayer book. <laughs> yeah. And I um, think there's so much evil in the world. I mean, where does where does it come from? I mean, it's not Kathy so George. Kathy George really believed in evil and the devil in our lives. She was very big on that. So um, hold on to this. Um, let me offer you. Let me tell you where it's difficult. I think. Let me remind you or remind us where I think this is difficult. Dividing what is difficult embracing this dualism. I think it, it makes sense of some things, but we're quite frightened when people start talking about children of light and children of darkness. Hmm. The kamikaze bombers were indoctrinated to believe they were children of light hmm. and the world and the, and the Americans were children of darkness. Nazism, there's the pure and the impure. There's light yeah. and darkness. 
Uh, but but I mean, this is in the American consciousness too. Puritanism. There's the pure and holy way, and then there's all that's anti-God. So, however, we're going to talk about a dualism. It needs to. It needs to be what I would call a provisional dualism. It needs to not just. We can't divide the world up into good and bad. Um. Um world and God. But I think John does. And we've got to, we've got to reckon with him there. And I think that's going to help us make sense of, of the way Jesus operates in, in, in this gospel. There's the trouble in the text. How do we deal with a, with a world that's fallen and in a really bad way and somehow, somehow enchained to a higher, darker power? I'm not telling you exactly what I believe here. I'm telling you what I think John's gospel is saying. Um, there's the trouble in the text. We can connect it to trouble in the world. Let's make the tough move, preachers. <laughs> Where's the grace? Where's the grace in this yeah, text? Absolutely. Where's the grace? There's always grace. Where's the grace? Between the circle wagons. God. <laughs> well, there's hope because, because he says that the light is within us. Okay. Okay. Where's the grace in John 17? Take a peek at it again. Yeah. Guys, we got a sermon. We got to remind people that God is good. Jesus is good. We got to preach it. What are we going to say? <laughs> well, he's that grace is in God is God offers that to us and we're never going to be whole necessarily. Um, we constantly um, confess our sins in church and to ourselves and in our own prayer. And some of us don't even do, uh, do that in the world because we don't realize we're sinning. But I think there has to be a reckoning of that grace and that love offered to us at some point. It could even be at the point when we enter heaven, it'd be offered to us. Um, I think, why do we have to put labels on everything? Why do we have to put labels on, on evil and Satan and, and that kind of thing? Why do we, when we do something that is sinful or wrong, why do we have to say that's Satan in us? Is Well, I don't really say that all that often. <laughs> I say I hope Tell me about your prayer life, Barbie. I hope it isn't <laughs> Satan is what I say. But I, you know, I think we need handles to grab onto. Um, so, um what you, um other it's evil. I mean, you look at some of the horrendous evil that's just happened in our own country. Um but um 
So could someone connect what Barbie's saying to John 17? Where's where's the grace in this chapter? Allison? He's muted. Allison, you're muted. Ah. John Small. Okay. Uh, I find grace in verse 23, uh, which talks about unity and talks about love. And I, I like what Barbie just said about love. Uh, I think uh, verse 23, which says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And Hi, can you hear me? Them, even as you have loved me. So to me, there is grace in unity and in love. Love it. Preach. Allison. Hi, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, this is kind of a different vector, but when I, the grace for me is how this passage makes me feel when I read it. Um, it's surprising. I have a surprisingly emotional reaction to it, and reading it, I feel a sense of yearning and. Um, sadness because Jesus is leaving the world as as he knew it and so the grace is um, the grace for me is feeling the sense of yearning for Jesus mm. I think the grace is that he's asking the father to sanctify us and that through our belief in him that we have a path forward through through the world and beyond evil and to follow that it, it, and it also seems like Jesus is saying I've done the work for you it's like he's like setting up the deal you know it's, it's all it's like teed up it just ready to go just step into it um, the words, the preposition, the preposition in shows up 16 times. Um, you are in God. You are in Christ who's in God. God is in Christ. Christ is in you. You're in the world. The world is in God. He's not a Gnostic. He's not fully a Gnostic. The world is in God. You are in God. Dave? The idea of the Holy Spirit, the unity of all of it together. That's building on what uh, John said and pulling that out of the last piece of um, verse 25 that mighty love you have for me may be in them and I in them but it's a concept of three you ask about the grace in this chapter and in, in this whatever it's called chapter uh, the, the grace is that Jesus is passing God 
and his love and care onto the rest of us and asking God to be with us. That's right. Um, I'd, I'd, if it's okay, I'd, I'd like to um, close this evening telling you about someone who, um, uh, a writer, a thinker who means a, a great deal to me, um, a 20th century Jewish woman. Um, I want to give a Jew the last word on this gospel. Mm. Um, I think it's important um, that we, we listen there. I'm thinking in light of last week. Um, uh, so her name's Eddie Hillisom. Do you guys know Eddie Hillisom? Heard Can you repeat that? Her name is Eddie Hillisom. I don't think that's helpful because it's mirror image. No, it's right. Right. Um, I, commend, I commend Eddie to you. I'll tell you just a little bit about her. And then I'll try to tie it to John 17. And then we'll just see where we're at. So Eddie Hillison died in Auschwitz at the age of 27. Um, she was um, born to Jewish parents in 1914 in Amsterdam. Um, she grew up in the Netherlands in a, in a, in a kind of bourgeois family. Um, her dad was a, was a, a scholar of, of classical languages. She grew up around books, academic atmosphere. Family was not practicing Jew. They weren't practicing their faith. Um, we don't know a ton about her life. I'm going to talk to you about her diaries uh, for, for a second. I can tell you that she, um, she had a very um, restless inner life. Um, she certainly struggled with depression as a teenager, may have been bipolar. If you read her diaries, you see a lot of kind of a tempestuous mood going on. She's she's very restless. Um, she's um, lives a kind of unconstrained life as a teenager, um, but she's always looking to go deeper inside, deeper as a as a human being. So she's on this spiritual search as well. Um, you know, she read. Augustine, she read Dostoevsky. Um, she's on the spiritual search. So she and her family, Jews um, in, in the Netherlands are taken to um, the Nazis uh, occupied, invaded, deported the Jews. Um, she was taken to Westerbork, um, which was a holding place for her in 1941. Her letters are all written from 1941 until she died in 1943. Um, one of the things that you see happening in her is she's trying to find God within. She's trying to find God within herself and also within her terrible situation in the concentration camp. Um, she struggles. She struggles to find God. Um, where is God? Again, think of John and the darkness of the world, the darkness of the cosmos. She's writing from right in the midst of that. She, she develops this crazy thought. She says, if God's, if I can't see God out in the world, if I can't see God in this investor Borg, 
I've got to somehow be God's presence. Um, she says, I've got to take responsibility for God. Fascinating phrase. I've got to take responsibility for God's presence in the world. Um, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to guard and protect God's presence. John 17, Jesus says, protect them. I've protected them. Now you protect them. Eddie Hillison says, God, I'll protect you. And she, um, she struggles in the, in the, um, in the concentration camp, but she begins to really think about how do I, how do I take responsibility for God when I look into the eye of uh, an SS officer? How do I protect the image of God in another person? How do I shelter God's presence in a dark world? Um, you know, she, she has some, she has some breakthroughs on that. Um, she struggles to see the humanity, um, but there are flashes of this where she, she says, I saw my, I saw the officer who was, um, who came to our cell and I saw him as a frightened, scared, lost and angry human being who was taken, who was enslaved to a darkness, um, enslaved to an evil. And she, she had a degree of empathy and compassion for him, um, sheltering God within her, sheltering God in the other. Um, how do you find integrity, live with integrity in a circumstance like that? In the darkness of the world. Um, the, the last letter that Hillisum sent in 1943, um, she or brothers Misha and Jop were uh, transported from uh, from Westerbork to Auschwitz, um, where they died. Her last letter says, "We left on the train, singing." Hmm. It's one of those letters that still makes the hair on my neck stand up. Um. As I think about John 17, as I think about John's gospel, I think about Ellie Hillison, Eddie Hillison, um, sheltering God's presence in the world. God's become flesh and been with us. Um, how, do we, how do we take care and take responsibility for God? It's a high calling, a high task. Um, I wonder if that's something of what John 17 is up to. I've protected you. Now you protect me. Um, so where are you with John's gospel? As we close this chapter, as we close this book, are we going to keep it in the canon? I love this gospel. I really do. I think it's so challenging. I think it's fabulous. I love it. Hmm. I... Challenging is a good word. It's really tricky. There are yeah. bits that could be taken wrong, and there's. It, I, I think I still have a hard time swallowing the whole thing, but there's so many good parts of it. Gosh. He gets down into the mud. <laughs> the great riddle. I loved it for his obvious, not only love of God, um, but his love 
for his disciples and for those on earth. Um, and it is a prayer. Um, and I love that aspect of it. Um, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. Um, it's tough, but it can happen is what he's saying. Um, And he's praying for his disciples and he's um, righteous father, the world does not know you, but I know you and these know you that you have sent me. I've made your name known to them. It's a prayer for his disciples to go and do and carry on. And, you know, as Barbie, as Barbie said, the world there, thinking about Hillisum, um, you can have great c compassion on people who live in this world um, because there are deeper things going on and people, there are bigger lies, bigger, <laughs> bigger things. And, and I think for, you know, that, that breakthrough for Hillisum is you don't get so angry at individuals. <laughs> um, it relieves you of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, again, this kind of tricky. How do we? How do we handle this? I, it's a live question, and I, <clears throat> I don't. I don't have easy answers, but I do see a kind of explanatory power in it. Other, other one, thoughts. One, other, one thing I love about it is it. He, it makes clear that the stakes are really high. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the world today, right? The stakes are really high. It was the world then, too. I don't know. It was chaotic then, as well. It's a different kind of chaos. Fear. Yeah, I mean, don't you guys think that sometimes Christianity gets, it's just made so small. It's like Jesus died for our sins. Isn't that nice? Let's get on with life. And like, uh, forgive me for that. That's a little crude, but, but this is cosmic, as Paul said. It's mm. huge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I applaud him for it. I think it's, I think it's very relevant. Thank you all for struggling with the text with me. And, and if we leave with more questions than answers, that's, we know it was a good time. Um, we can study him forever. forever. Um, this has been a real gift for me this study. Um, I have to say, I have to confess, um, reading scripture can be hard for me. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, 
I wish I read it every day. And I'm thankful that I preach so that I have to, I have to get into the text, but reading scripture as a community, it really gets me into it. And it's just, it's been a huge gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, so if, if you have any inclination or you want to kind of continue studies like this, um, let's, let's keep it going. We can do them in four to five week series. We don't have to, you know, get carried away with a weekly study. Um, but it's been a gift. It's been a gift for me. Um, and hopefully, hopefully it's blessed you in yes. some way. Absolutely. Garrett, Garrett, I've got a question for you. Did you and, 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 um, oh Lord. Uh, no, Noah. no, yeah, did you, you and Noah ever talk about John? He loved John too. We spent a year with John with a men's group, and it was just an amazing, amazing experience for all of us to really get into it deep. Um, we probably did. I don't remember, but he did love John's gospel. Um, he still does. He still does. <laughs> yeah. He's still alive. He's still, no, alive. He's still alive. He's in the present tense. thank you so much uh for this evening and if you have any questions or thoughts or want to want to chase any of the rabbits that we've we've been onto this evening uh let me know um one one coincidental thing that happened to the choir this week is that we recorded something for holy week and that was ubi caritas which is when there's when there you're in the presence of God, there's love. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. We'll go forth on that note. So, thanks everyone. Have a good night and see, Thank you. You. see you soon. Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> All right. Thank you very Thank much. You, Thank you very Thank much. You. It was great. <laughs>